and welcome to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land. Welcome everybody tonight. Um, I want to mahalo again, Vai Vai, for help, uh, helping us host uh, this terrific event. How about a big round of applause, Pai Pai Lima, for Vai Vai. Um, the pule we just started off with is a pule to bless the house. Um, and it's very important that as indigenous people, we understand that this is not our house, but it's our house. And so we got to take care of those things. We're taking care of each other. We're here to share. We're here to um, enlighten. We're here to uplift. Uh, we're here to heal. Um, my name is Imai Kalani Winchester. I'm very happy to be one of the first speakers tonight to address you folks. Uh, I'm speaking on part of a particular group. Um, a group that's working together tonight uh, with our hosts uh, about a very special and important Hawaiian holiday. And since you're in our house, we wanted to share a very important story with you guys before you guys left tonight. We wanted to share with you the very important story of La Ho'i Ho'i Ea. Can everybody say that for me? La Ho'i Ho'i Ea. La Ho'i Ho'i Ea. Kids in the front, la hoi hoi ea. Kids in the back, la hoi hoi ea. All together, la hoi hoi ea. Now, la hoi hoi ea is a very important holiday. It's the first holiday, the oldest holiday here in Hawaii. And it talks about our independence as a people, as a nation. And today, one of my very short messages I want to leave with you today is that Hawaii is a nation, Hawaii is a kingdom, and our kingdom is being occupied by the United States of America. Many of you who struggle against colonizations, against imperialism, know of that struggle. Know how it is to fight for your waters. Know how it is to fight for your language. Know how it is to fight for your sacred places. To have others take and exploit what has always been your sacred kuleana, your burden, your right, your privilege. And so for us Kanaka, it is very important that we share all of our burden, our right, our privileges with you, our visitors. So that you feel and you understand where you are. You understand that you're in our house. And there's certain things that you need to understand as visitors to our house. And today I'm going to leave you with that word, la ho'i ho'i ea, say it again. La hoi hoi ea, say it again. Which translates in our language, in Olelo Hawaii, to Hawaiian sovereignty restoration. What does it mean? Hawaiian sovereignty restoration. What does it mean? Over a century ago, Kamehameha III. put Hawaii in a very special status. Hawaii became the first non-European state, the first non-European state to be recognized in the family of nations before Japan. We recognize them, by the way. And it's great that they're having their bond dance outside. And one day, we'll be bond dancing it together in celebration of La Ho'i Ho'i Ea. But today, our generation has made a concerted effort because of the leaders before us to do something for our kids, to do something for our families, to do something for our communities. And tonight is one of those evenings. It's one of those ways that we express ea. Olelo kako, repeat after me. Ea. Ea. Ea means several things in Hawaiian language because we're so beautiful of a language that there's many meanings. One meaning is to rise. Ea means to rise. 
Ya means to breathe. To breathe. Very important word, very strong word. Life. Ya also means sovereignty. The right to rule. And for us as Kanaka and for you as visitors to our home, to our kingdom, it's important that you understand that as well so that you can go and share the right story. That in this month we celebrate Kalaho Ihoi'ea, our first national holiday. When Britain temporarily overthrew our kingdom, but after the right and privilege of Queen Victoria rectifying that wrong, Hawaii's sovereignty was returned. And that became what we are learning today is La Ho'i Ho'i'ea, the day that Hawaii's sovereignty was returned. In 1893, 50 years later, we were overthrown. When Cuba was annexed, when Puerto Rico was annexed, the Hawaiian kingdom was occupied. And we remain so. And yesterday was a very important day. Yesterday was a day that the illegal government that overthrew our nation declared themselves the republic. And this is an important story that we are here to share briefly because it's an important part of who we are. And so tonight, we're very happy to be sharing yet another community event with something that is critical to air, to life, to independence, to the rising or raising of our children. Today, tonight, we challenge ourselves to redefine what true sovereignty is. We try to understand that sovereignty begins with birth. And we want to talk about our ho'i, how we return. Because those are also part of our life and our death and our independence. So we're glad to have so many young children here. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you guys had your baby at home? Yeah. Big round of applause for everybody. How many of you guys brought your keiki here? Who's a free child of Zion? Sorry, no hospitals. My, my baby's running on here somewhere. But thank you. Thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for being interested. We wanted to take this time just to share a little bit about who we are as a people, as a kingdom. The Hawaiian kingdom lives. We're occupied. But we're not broken. Tonight we want to share this very special time with you. And we've brought in some very special friends who've made birthing the reclamation the resurgence, the revival, the resuscitation, the restoration of Ea, a practice so that we can return. And so tonight, I want to close with just a brief mahalo and an invitation to anybody who is interested in what else Kala Ho'i Ho'i Ea is doing to please check us out on the interwebs. You can find us if you don't know how to spell it. I guess you can find me or ask somebody else who knows how to spell it. It's on my shirt. Come and talk to me and you can take a picture of my shirt. We want to move on to tonight's uh, presentation because there's a lot. So once again, my name is Imai Winchester. On behalf of Kala Ho'i Ho'i Ea, we want to welcome you guys tonight to Kavaivai. Mahalo for hosting us. I want to pass the microphone over to Leilani. Mahalo, everybody. Yeah. Uh -huh.
Aloha mai kako. Aloha. Wa ono o ledani. Um, no lahaina mai au. Um, pau ole ku aloha ya o ko. No ko ko. Uh, Komo ana i keia uh, kipuka. He kipuka. He kipuka no i ka. I keia <laughs> aina pupule. <laughs> So thank you, aloha, everyone, for, for coming. My name is Leilani. Um, I live in Lahaina with my husband and my, my three children. We're here for a very special reason. Um, I'm part of an, a gathering that has been occurring for the last 10 days, Napuo Ohaumea Indigenous Birth Keepers Gathering. We have been spending the last 10 days um, camping for lack of a better word, in some very special places. Uh, we spent a week on Maui, and now we've been uh, staying at Halokumana Public Charter School, um, which is uh, our ohana here. And um, tonight we really wanna, the name of tonight is Hanau Ea, and we're gonna be talking about the reclamation and the resurgence of indigenous myth midwifery and birth practices within indigenous communities. We are blessed to have a lot of different representation in our gathering from all over occupied America and occupied Hawaii. And tonight we just are opening up the mic to some of our attendees who are here to speak to you all about this movement and um, it's really in an effort to inspire and uh, share about the beautiful practices of our ancestors regarding birth and child rearing. So um, I hope you enjoy tonight and then uh, after that we're going to enjoy a little bit of live music um, by Kapali, some Aloha Aina music. So. Mahalo nui. Um, the first speaker we have tonight is Autumn. So if um, Autumn is going to be the first speaker tonight. Mm -hmm. um, I'm Jason Cavendish. I'll send down the off. Ianka. Hamitakiapi. Oa sinchantewa shteya na bech yuzapiye. Uh, Hello, my relatives. It's with a good heart that I greet all of you with a handshake. My name is Autumn Cavender. I'm from um, Occupied occupied Dakota Territory in what is currently known as the southwest corner of Minnesota. Um, my nation is from a very, very small little reservation um, in that place, and um, we, were, uh, we were a displaced people. We were a displaced people. Um, what happened is after the war that we fought with the United States, bounties were placed on the scalps of our children and our people in military expeditions. Were, um, were led over in the state of Minnesota and into South Dakota and to North Dakota to fully exterminate our people and our primary food source, which was the bison. And so in the early part of the 20th century, a man named Lazarus Skyman came back to Minnesota, came back to our ancestral territory, our ancestral homeland, and he sent a letter back to his family saying, they didn't kill me yet. You can come home. I am a certified professional midwife in a super sweet gig. I have my apprentice who, whose husband is a, um, is a family practice doc with OB certification. And so all my transports are a dream. And he hired a CENM, so all my transports now are midwife to midwife. I had the first home birth in my territory in over 50 years. 
And so it is with no small amount of grief, no small amount of horror, and no small amount of rage when I hear about the oppression of indigenous midwives across this continent. The story that comes down in my family of the midwives we had began with a grandmother who used to take her granddaughter with her on postpartum appointments to play with babies. And that same granddaughter watched her grandmother bayoneted in the stomach by a US cavalry soldier on a bridge in November, thrown into a freezing river, and to this day, my family doesn't know where their body lies. That is the story, that is the tradition of midwifery in my family. That's the story and tradition of midwifery for my people. And so when I became a midwife, it was with the deliberate and intentional recognition of the ways in which birth has been taken out of our communities, placed in the hands of a colonial society, and the ways in which our babies, our childbearers, our mothers suffer and die at colonial hands. And this is a system through which every single colonizer, every single settler, every single illegal occupier on indigenous territory is culpable. That blood is on every single one of the hands of the settler nation. And so when we talk about the reclamation of sovereignty in indigenous territory, it isn't just rhetoric. It's not just an abstract idea, a dream that we aspire to. Wouldn't it be nice if they let us do something for once? It is with the rage of an exiled, occupied, and murdered nation. Um, the eyes of the nation were on Hawaii with this exemption, with this midwifery bill that was put into place. And for me, for my friends, my relatives here, my allies here, my sisters, I am filled with rage and fury that they are excluded in this clause. The colonial state and anyone representing it has no authority by which to pass laws to limit who is and is not qualified to catch Kanaka Maoli babies on sovereign territory. And the fact that they continue to have this belief is utterly unacceptable and cannot be tolerated any longer. Anyone who dares call themselves an ally in indigenous struggle needs to recognize that indigenous sovereignty comes first. It doesn't matter how long you have been here. It doesn't matter how long your family has been here. It doesn't matter the letters that come behind your name. You have no authority to speak on behalf of indigenous populations of any territory, let alone when those people are standing in the room telling you that it is a bad idea. Um, I've been a part of a burgeoning organization in the past several years, and one of the things we've really struggled with is how to come up with a definition of indigenous midwifery. How do we come up with a label for what it is and who we are? Because midwifery itself is a colonial word. Every single one of us in our languages, we have a different word for midwife, and it comes with different cosmological, different theological, different social, different spiritual, different political connotations. It defines the roles that we carry in our communities. And so how do we encompass something like that? Something that doesn't go beyond preconception to six weeks postpartum, plus a pap smear here and there. That is not indigenous midwifery. Indigenous midwifery is holding our communities, holding our children, holding our future generations on sovereign territory, showing them who they are by putting their bodies against the dirt and saying, you belong here because your ancestors are buried into this ground. Your molecular structure is the same as this earth because this is where your ancestors are buried. And so I look forward to celebrating with my relatives on that day when the sovereign kingdom of Hawaii is recognized as such once again 
and those colonial occupiers get the hell out of here. Wow, thank you, Autumn. Thank you very much. Um, next, we have Melissa Rose. Hi, it's so hard to follow Autumn. And I'm always following Autumn. Ever since midwifery school, we went to midwifery school together. Um, my name is Melissa Rose. I am Wolf Clan from Aquasaste Mohawk Nation. Uh, from my mother, my mother's Wolf Clan. Um, I have been a midwife for a lot of years, but I am just now completing my CPM credential. Um, my road to midwifery has been really long and um, weird and treacherous. Uh, being, a, being a native person in colonial institutions is weird by itself and then being um, taught midwifery, taught my, my craft um, and my birthright from non-native people um, has been a hardship to say the least. Um, we're, I talked earlier this week about um, navigating these systems, uh, how as native people who are land-based, who come from a community, who have roots and ties and language and culture and ceremonies, um, how we have to navigate these systems that tell us who we are um, because of genocide, because of all the things Autumn talked about, is, is another hardship on top of all of it. So the community that I come from, it, it's very political to live there. It, it, just being born there, it, where your citizenship is, um, depends on a lot of factors. So some people are Canadian, some people are from New York, um, because it's right on the border. So nationalism is a big part of your life from the minute you're born. Um, and then there, it's a sovereign nation as well. Our, we have a thriving midwifery community in our territory, um, mostly, in, mostly because it's on, in Ontario and Quebec, and there has been an Ontario Aboriginal midwifery exemption since the 80s um, for our Aboriginal midwives to practice. Uh, this is my daughter, Vivian. For our Aboriginal midwives to practice um, outside of the registered midwifery um, law. So we have always had our midwives. They've never gone anywhere, and we, we, we do have a thriving midwifery community. Our babies are born on territory um, and welcomed in our language with our ceremonies. Um, and and it's, it's painful to say, but in part because we have permission from an occupying government to do that. So I just wanted to just kind of um, we brought this board with us today, and this is a, just a definition of indigenous, indigenous midwifery that we kind of, it's a basis, I mean, of what we all, of the people who attended the gathering of what we all agree is indigenous midwifery. So it says, a community-based and community-driven presence practiced by an indigenous person that recognizes a broad, life-encompassing scope of care around as feminine, as feminine ceremonial rights that maintains access to and the ability to access the knowledge and materials of the times, traditional and contemporary, and seeks the maintenance and restoration of balance in life and community, while also serving as, an, as advocates and as an advocate's buffer for those most negatively affected by lives out of balance. So um, our next speaker tonight is going to be um, Carol Cucci. Chimigwech, Nandugishikwe, Indigenous Cause, Nibising, Indunjaba. 
Hello, thank you for uh, letting me speak and welcoming um, me on this beautiful territory of the indigenous people of Hawaii and uh, the great generosity and kindness that I've been shown over the last 10 days. Um, like I said, my name is Carol Kuchi. I'm from uh, Nabising First Nation, which is uh, three and a half hours north of Toronto. I am the, I have returned the matrilineal lineal line of midwife, midwives to our community. My daughter's a midwife, my great-grandmother was a midwife, and uh, my grandmother, who probably would have uh, been a midwife, and my auntie, um, suffered the trauma of watching their children be dragged or being dragged to residential school. Um, uh, my family was kind of a refugee. My grandmother never was able to finish raising her children, and my auntie um, served um, countless traumas, including, I suspect, I can't prove it, but forced sterilization in a TB hospital. So, <clears throat> we have to talk about a lot of ugly things when we talk about Indigenous families and, um, and the lives of Indigenous women when we talk about our history. And midwives are really at the, the core of trying to change those sad stories into ones of happiness, where you see like really happy, happy, healthy children running around here, and that those children are welcomed in a good way, and those women, while they're mo at their most vulnerable stage in pregnancy, are, um, are protected. And I don't know why or how I got into university to become a registered midwife in Ontario, but I managed to get there by uh, probably the help of my ancestors because by the time I um, was 33 years old, uh, most of the elders in my immediate family had died and probably 11 um, through accidental death. So <clears throat> I really, really believe in the power of our ancestors to help us even in a better way on the other side. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about we heard about the, the whole history of colonization and the history of midwifery, but when people came here, like in Canada, um, there were midwives here to greet them. And in Canada particularly, we, our country was opened up by the fur trade and the fur traders came with no women. Um, so many of the people, uh, the men that came to do fur trading married our women and their babies were greeted uh, by the local midwives. And when the women started to come, they um, were always fa sometimes found in places where there was no help and those midwives helped them. Um, <clears throat> and then as time went on in the 1930s, 40s, um, with the Indian Act and all that kind of thing, people started uh, moving into hospitals, doctors wanted to deliver babies and um, nurses aligned themselves with uh, doctors and indigenous women were made to, um, midwives were made illegal. And we're told that they couldn't practice, scared into telling them that they were gonna kill people and the doctors were going to make it safer and better. And it wasn't long after that, that people were starting to be put on planes and moved thousands of kilometers in order to deliver their baby much like some of the women in this community are moved from an, one smaller island to another bigger island to deliver um, their babies and told that it, this was a reason why it was, it was because it was safer and better. <clears throat> but along with that exclusion comes cultural genocide. Um, our most important ceremony is now being conducted by strangers and in a, in a way that is not safe for us. It may physically save babies and mothers at times, but in our community, we have a lot of loss, especially with our teenagers, with addiction, um, uh, with suicides. So although it may seem or make sense to people that some of the things that we are now doing in very, very remote places, like more remote than you can even think of here in Hawaii, 
we have better outcomes than those that are moved away, even without cesarean section capability, and our young people are managing better. They're healing, they're becoming midwives. We have young people that are becoming midwives in Inuit territories in, um, that, are, that have real jobs in a place where unemployment is like 90%. So, <clears throat> so that's just sort of my little comparison in terms of like what Canada has done in terms of their um, indigenous population. But I want to talk a little bit about when midwifery came, finally, because the Inuit people started not getting on the, tr on the plane, and, um, and, and uh, learning midwifery again um, in an integrated way prior to even legislation in Ontario, which was the first province or state that got legislation. So it was a painful process, probably just as painful as what you guys have gone through now. Um, maybe even more so. People were upset, lots of people were upset. Lots of non-native midwives got left behind. Certainly the, the exemption clause was there on a piece of paper, but there really wasn't a whole lot of people that were um, ready to take it, take it on. But it wasn't long before we had, like we weren't as far along as the, the indigenous midwives here to be able to take that on. Some people had to go back to school um, or learn. Another woman had to relocate and start practicing. So I'm talking about 20 years ago, right? And it was really, we were coming out of the bad old times of obstetrics where people were tied to ropes, like tied onto fetal monitors and all that kind of stuff. So, the Association of Ontario Midwives excluded the exempted midwives. They weren't part of their group. They had meetings and they had to wait outside the door while they talked about where things were discussed about them. Like, one lady stood up and said, well, can the traditional Amish midwives claim the exemption because they're real traditional and they don't use technology? And I said, this is nothing about that. This is about sovereignty. This is not about what you do, like whether you use ultrasound or use a Doppler or that you use medication or what school you went to or how you learned. This is about us taking care of our own in a way that is appropriate for us. And no, it doesn't matter if someone's Amish and low tech they can't use our exemption. So that was, so it was a rough start, but time went on and people started to listen better. And when the truth and reconciliation happened in Canada, the Association of Ontario Midwives decided on the board level that they would have um, a department of indigenous midwifery and they hired a director and our association in Ontario is one of the most powerful midwifery associations in Canada and the United States because we have taken on our insurance bill like we've been able to, to um, uh, acquire wealth just the way physicians do by having the, in, the insurance be paid to us and we hold that certificate. So we have a lot of staff, we are able to have like create policies and all that kind of stuff. So that is how now the indigenous midwives in our province anyway, got a big raise, they got more funding, we're trying to change a whole lot of legislation so that they'll be able to order lab work and um, write their own birth certificates, like, like, a, like register births the same as registered midwives. Um, they're already doing like primary care uh, but there is a lot of people that are being displaced right now with legislation. And what I can tell you, that it won't always be perfect. There's going to be people left outside the room. There's going to be people left behind. But you need to remember who welcomed you here.
you need to know who was the first residents of this place and make sure that those women and those families are safe and okay first. And I guarantee you, just like historically we have always looked after and helped our neighbors, they're going to help and work beside you in a way that will make you both so strong, you won't believe it. And I can, and I can say that not only from a state level, because we have, I haven't even talked to you about the Canadian Association of Midwives and the National Aboriginal Council of Midwives. So that was a whole other story that I could go on for an hour on how we have strengthened each other as sisters and gone and where the indigenous people have just been left to deal with things on their own, but always in the end, we work together and communicate together. So please, please hear me. You have to listen to the first people in this land. You must listen to them. You must bring them along. You must include them in everything. Don't be angry. Have patience. Have patience and wait. Because if you don't, you will look a fool. Because this is the way it's going to be. We have seen this in Canada. It's going to happen at the International Congress of Midwives. The World Health Organization is going to look at this. Indigenous people are waking up everywhere. We have waken, woken up everywhere. And the women will not let this ceremony end. So I want to take a moment and just sit in the moment of not only did we have a brave young little one up here who sang out loud in a, in a space to strangers, but I also saw the moving lips of so many young children. And I want to just please have you take a moment and, and hear us when I say that this is the way that re our traditions are reclaimed. This is the way our births are reclaimed. Is by having space for our traditions to exist, to, to live, to thrive. And so we just, a moment ago, because we felt like the room was getting loud and we needed to sing a song to just have a pause in a moment. And so we have a Cree woman, a Coastal Salish woman, a Yaqui woman, and Native Alaskans all up here in solidarity together. And I want you to remember that picture and say that when it comes to what is happening, when it comes to licensing and exemption and the ability to exist and have our sacred ceremonies regulated, we are watching and we all understand and feel and that's why we really want to unite and fight as one, okay? And a few days ago, last week, when we had a community gathering on Maui, I spoke to the reality of all the beautiful things that I had experienced since I came onto this land. Since I was invited, since I was welcomed, since I was greeted in language, when I was invited to be a part of ceremony where we shared our children together and to play and to learn and from in the ocean waves or at the mountaintops that we came together as land-based people who will fight for our land, who will fight for our traditions, who will fight for our ways. And before, shortly before I came here at the Home Birth Summit, I engaged in quite lengthy conversations with people about this licensing, about this, the, the happenings that are happening here in Hawaii. And I come from a state where we have licensing. I come from a state where, as a 20 years ago, I was able to utilize Medicaid funding to have a midwife attend me and have finances not ever be a part of whether I could access that loving care. 
And I'm thankful for that midwifery. And for anyone in here who does home birth, anyone here who's attended a home birth ever, I want you to think about the ways in which it felt different than other experiences that you've been around. So I, I often have, I've been a midwife for 25 years, often when I am, am talking with people who have had a hospital birth experience or a home birth experience, that they can see that there are these differences. And yes, sometimes, you know, we are, it's not about our personal choice, that we, we, we make decisions based on what is, is the wisest ones for us. But I think that anyone who is a midwife can agree that there are differences. And that when you have a lovely, lovely obstetric provider who comes to you and says, I can give you a home birth in the hospital. I can, we can be natural, we can, um, you know, you can bring your own bedding, uh, you can have the people you want that, you know, yes, those are wonderful, wonderful gifts and blessings and things to be appreciated and that are so important. But giving birth in that other person's space and giving birth in your own space, I think that we can agree that it does feel different. And I'm, I won't even say that one is better than the other. I'm not even saying that at all. But can we agree that they are different when it comes to empowerment and, and relationship and intimacy? And I want you to expand and go to an even further depth. And please trust and believe us when I say that it's also different when we are attending our own. When we can have the, the prayers and the ceremonies and the first words spoken to our babies be ones where there is no one who's a voyeur to the experience. There is no need to shield or protect what can be witnessed by others and what needs to be private within our own families. There's no reason to have to question, it is, in, it is invited people in our space with a shared language and tradition and desires for our children. An investment in, in our, ourselves and a, as a growing nationhood. So while I understand and I can love, I, I will always love the midwife who served me as a young mom through my birth journey. I will continue to fight to be able to have people who share culture to be able to serve their own in the way that they mutually understand, in a way that cannot be explained with words. So please, please have faith as we reclaim and, and remember that for the next generations that come, there, it's true that there is so much that when it, we have lost so much. And when we have these gatherings, this is, a, I believe, our ninth. I've attended all of them uh, to build these relationships. And when we all have our circle time together, there are so many people who, who share of so, all the things that we've lost. Traditions that have been lost, languages that have been lost, land that's been lost, wars that have been lost, entire generations of children that were swept up and taken away. Traditions that had to change in order for us to survive. I forgive my ancestors for doing what they needed to do to survive so that I could still be here. I forgive them fully. But just because there is the reality of some broken links does not mean that in those stories, in those languages, in those connections to plants and the land, that it's not all there. It's still there. And it may be quiet, but it is waking up. And it's not just a quiet, quiet, soft yawn. It's with a loud, powerful roar. So please, stop having this mindset that what we have right now is that good enough does that look the way that it it 
does that look a certain way to make it acceptable as as a, a way of midwifery for for what we want it to be equivalent to and please open your mind to what we are co-creating and building and supporting one another in so that we can reclaim for future generations Nakila Shoshokli Um, we have just a few more left, and I'd like to introduce um, Glenda Abbott, please. Uh, good evening, Tanse. Nisigasun Glenda Abbott, Egwa, Chipitigo Piesusku, Nehiao Nia Oche, Chachikeo Skygan, Nimiwiti Nota Itgotian, Nitatamsko Gumusumoak. My name is Glenda Abbott. I come from Treaty 6 territory in central Canada. I'm Plains Cree. We call ourselves Nehiel people um, or, or otherwise four-bodied people. Um, I'm here joining all of these really beautiful indigenous uh, birth workers and midwives and healers, all of us practicing in our own way and, and, and from our birthright. And um, I never know what I'm going to say when I come up here, but the one thing that I was thinking about that I think I, I bring in particular is I know that I have my ancestors standing with me all the time. And when you know this, that they are standing with you all the time, and you know your history, in my history, in my own lands, it was illegal for me to practice my ceremonies until 1951. And it wasn't just illegal for me to practice my ceremonies in my land, but I also couldn't get a lawyer to fight against what was legalized oppression in my own land. And then, so what my elders did, if we listened to the laws that govern these lands, these occupied lands that are my homeland, the, the lands that my ancestors were literally born and fallen from the skies and reborn from the earth, I wouldn't be who I am today. What my elders did during this time when our, when our ceremonies were, were outlawed is they took those ceremonies deep, deep, deep into the bush. And they knew that the Indian agents, which like would jail, put our people in jail for, for even leaving our community at that time, we needed a pass or a permit to, to buy and sell things. Um, they knew that if we were caught practicing these ceremonies, we would be put in jail. So what they did was, is they took uh, a rawhide. So we are buffalo people, we are people of the plains. They took our, our hide and they, and they took that into the bush where we practiced our ceremonies. And rather than using a drum during this time, um, they just put that rawhide on the ground and they sang their so songs really quietly and they would beat that hide so that no one ever heard um, the ceremonies that were still taking place. We had um, other people that would, in our kitchen table, throw cloth over our table so that we could still have our sweat lodge, so that we wouldn't be able to be found out that we were still maintaining the, the practices of our people. What does that mean in birth? To us, birth is a ceremony. It's not even a, a choice or an option to us whether when, our, when that child is going to be born, that it has a... a, a, a a reason that it needs to be born into a nation, that is born into a family. It's not an option for us for this to be a ceremony or not. It's not an option for us, you know. Like, so when, when I think about birth, I think about all of the creation stories. I think about all of the songs. I think about the language and how that language gave me a cosmology and how in that cosmology, my children that were born into the ancestors and the ancestral land and the spirits of that land are born into that child. Now, for those in this room, you know, who were, who were maybe not from this land or maybe you're indigenous to another land, in our teachings, you were born with the same kind of instructions that I was born with. Whether you were Gaelic, or whether you were Dutch, or whether you were any kind of identity that you were, you were born with the same kind of instructions that I was born with. But somehow, people have bought into a colonial identity that when you came to this land, you decided to give that up. That was everything that was sacred. 
inside of your own fiery spirit, inside of your body. You chose to give that up. For some of us in this room, our colonization happened 150 years ago. And I'm telling you, we're not going to give it up. We're not going to give it up for any Canadian law that is created, for any U.S. law. No matter what it takes, we're going to fight it tooth and nail because all of these kids deserve better. They deserve better. And we're not going to stop fighting for not just this generation of our kids playing here and and getting to know each other. And these kids are born into their culture. This is the first generation of kids that have been born in their ceremonies, in their culture, with their language, with their ancestors. They're supporting them legally, <laughs> right now, legally. And we are not gonna stop that. Not for anything that, that lies ahead. And so, um, I guess that's kind of what I wanted to share. I wanted to acknowledge that um, my prayer for everyone in this room is regardless of where you come from in this whole planet, that somehow you learn to acknowledge the spirit that the creator or God or whoever gave you. And when you can do that, maybe you'll learn to respect the reason why this works. All of us have different beliefs different practices, different songs, different ceremonies. The reason why it works is when you can understand your culture, your identity, your spirit, your ancestors, and you can respect them, then you know what it feels like to lose them. So my prayer is that everyone in this whole room, that you go back to your original instructions, you find the culture that the creator gave you, and you connect it to the land. Because if you can do that, you won't try to take it from someone else. Next, we have Alicia Cook. Ahaya! Saiko sawa goigo guahunso yungya swakata hyuni, akwasa slona tagidalo. Kelly Hunyani dana yunki janta jinue. Hi, everyone. My name is Alicia Cook. That's my English name. My real original name is Guanghuizo. And when I was growing up, I, I, I grew up in um, New York State, in the land of the Haudenosaunee, which means the people of the Longhouse. And in our territory, we have six nations. We adopted the Tuscaroras in. We used to be five nations at one time. And growing up, I was lucky enough that I had the cream of the crop. Our elders, our community, they were solid. We didn't have to worry about someone telling us not to have, give birth. We were protected. Our people are strong people. And we are also matrilineal. And what I wanted to share to you today and hold space of ceremony because they say that as a woman, your only job here on earth is to give birth. Your only job here is to give birth, to hold ceremony. And they say that that is the closest you get to death because you are at that spiritual doorway. No legislation is at that doorway when that baby's coming through. There's no rules, there's no regulations. We all know when that spirit comes through, it has its own identity. It has its own purpose. And we are that doorway. That is the power of our women. And so why, I don't understand why people want to destroy that ceremony. That is sacred. That is the closest door to the heavens that you can get. Pulling that baby, that spirit through, and delivering it to Mother Earth. That is the power of a woman. Ain't no man gonna do that. I seen through news feed last week, 30 men sitting around a table trying to make decisions for a woman. 
The only thing I could say about that is that we gave birth to those boys. And it's our fault that they're thinking like that. It's our fault. We need to take responsibility and teach our men, our boys, how to treat us as women. How that doorway opens, how we hold that spirituality, that ceremony. Our whole path here on earth is ceremony. Don't move away from that. We have through our feet, through our bodies, straight up through our head, all the way up to creation, to the heavens. That's where our creator lives. And when that spirit is sent through, through the action of love, it comes through in love. How many of you have been witness to a birth? Were any of you angry? You felt that love, that power, that connection to the heavens. That's what that, that pure spirit that came through, that's what you brought through. The pureness, the heavenliness of our heavens above through this life. And that life is given an opportunity. The Creator has placed everything here for, on earth that we need. Everything is here for us. And we fight and we bicker over legislation and rules and regulations. Those ain't the guys that tuck me in at night. When I put my head down and I've, I've had a good day, I count my blessings. There's nobody tucking me in. Nobody telling me which way to walk. Those are our decisions. And when we as women come together and hold ourselves in a strengthful, solid way, we join together and we can make these changes. There's, we see a lot out there that's not wrong, that's not right, sorry. We have got to make those changes. And it's, it's true what they say, a village, it takes a village to raise a child. It's true. There's so many of our people here, there's so many de denominations of races and colors and everything like that. But we're based off of love. At that doorway, when that baby comes through, what do you feel? Love, compassion. There's no hatred. Our people, we mimic the birds and we sing our baby's seed songs when they enter. We give speeches and we make this promise that we're gonna help bring this child on earth and raise it in a good way. And we have sisters and uncles, all of our arms joined together to raise this child. So when I talk about that, that sacred doorway, don't forget that when you're making decisions for people. Don't forget us. We need you as our sisters, as our uncles. We need to come together and help our indigenous birth keepers. Nyawa. We have one more speaker tonight. It is my honor to ask Laulani Teo to please come up and have a word. Mahalo, you guys. These, these, these folks, these kids that are running around, a lot of them have been the crew for a lot of this uh, gathering that has um, come all the way from Maui, you know, and it's been everywhere, right? Ki Mauka Makai, you know, they've, they've been all over the place. And, you know, this, this little um, hui of chaos that you see running around here has really been the centrifugal force around which so much of um, our mana'o has been able to flow and so much good has been able to come together and so i really mahalo all of the keiki and all of the keiki who are here i see some of our oahu gang keiki um you know and this is this is how it happens 
you know, as was said earlier, these keiki interacting with one another, you know, some of them have been doing it for days, some of them just, just met up. <clears throat> and together, this is, this is what makes it happen, you know? Most, a lot of them have come into this world through practices that have been revived from our many different culture, and here they are interacting and doing their thing. So, you know, really mahalo to the keiki and mahalo to, to everyone who's been a part of this. Um, I'd like to just say a few things about what I've seen in the last few days. I was so glad to make it to Maui. I almost didn't because I came down sick, but then I, I did catch up with them. And in that time that I was able to share with these wonderful people, all of these wonderful people that you've seen here, I've learned so much about, um, about what we're doing and really about how what we are doing here and what we are going through here is echoed all over the world. And the strongest thing, the strongest part of that echo is the strength of the women. It's this unshakable strength and you've seen it up here. And we got to, we got to see that strength very close, you know, and, and, and talk about what everyone has been through and where they stand and how strong they stand. And they do. They're, they're absolutely amazing. And you know what? They're just like us. Not just, not just like Kanaka, but I mean like, like all of us. You know, there are so many people here from so many different native, originally native cultures that you know there's nothing like connecting with your sisters who have been through that oppression been through the legislation been through all of those things and they're still standing strong and saying this is what we do and in our land we will say how this what is needed and what needs to be done i didn't know many things you know, I thought that it was a new concept that, you know, Kanaka would recognize non-Kanaka midwives who assisted us in Kanaka birth. That's not a new thing. They've been doing it for a really long time. And that's acknowledged in Canada and it's acknowledged in many other places too, you know, that, that the indigenous peoples, in order to revive our traditions, may give and revive our traditions in any way that we need to do that and bring anyone to attend us with any credential whatsoever that we need to happen and that that then applies to so many things so you know I just really really mahalo all of our sisters and our brothers too you know there were some awesome men oh my goodness you know the it's so inspiring so so inspiring to see the the midwife dads from around the world let me tell you you know there's like I was, I, I was saying, you know, there's, there's something that the, these Kane have in common, you know, that being <clears throat> the Kane of a midwife, um, and in some cases assisting midwives too, but, you know, being the Kane of a midwife is, is not a small job. It's like, you know, oh, oh, hi, honey. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not coming home and I might not be home for the next four days or so you know I mean that kind of stuff when you have small keiki is not a little thing it's really really a big <clears throat> commitment that is absolutely honorable and it's it's absolutely amazing so I just want to say that to all of our sisters coming from all of your lands and standing strong upon your lands and then coming here to Hawaii to stand strong with us and to help us 
to stand strong. Mahalo. Mahalo nui loa. I would like to end with a little um, thing that, um, that I wrote some time ago, the words um, along with my, um, my former band, uh, Kahuli, and it kind of goes like this. The day has been a long one. The road's been full of stones. Now the evening's coming and I'm weary to my bones. But I'm planting seeds of freedom I found along the way. My love for life's the song I sing at the closing of the day. is falling on a long and blessed day children sleep in peace tonight till the dawn is birthed when that morning glory shines upon the earth it feels like we're standing in the twilight of the age. I don't know where the story goes when we turn the page, but I think I've found direction in the silence of my soul. And where it's taking me, I guess that's where I'll go. No peace, it don't come easy. It's been lonely on this road. But my friend, I thank you for your company and the seeds you sowed. is falling on a long and blessed day. Children sleep in peace tonight till the dawn is birthed when that morning glory shines upon the Thank you for listening to us on Native Stories. Navigate through location-based stories on our Native Stories mobile app. You can find it on Apple and Android stores under Native Stories. Go check them out and leave a review and tell your family and friends. If you have a story you would like us to tell or want to sponsor a future podcast, location story, or walking tour, please email us at info at Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook under username our native stories.